turn our attention to the word of the Lord this morning. And uh, thank you for coming. Thank you for joining us online. We're going to look at a verse of scripture in the book of Romans. second. I got to start printing my notes. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 this morning. Romans 10 and 17. Thank you, Jesus. So faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. Faith comes from hearing And hearing the good news of Christ, if I'm going to read it from the King James, it reads a little bit more familiarly to me. Then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Let's pray and ask God to speak to our hearts this morning and give us faith to understand. Jesus, we love you. We worship you this morning. You are worthy of the praise, of the glory, of the honor. We magnify and bless your name. Jesus, I pray for this message this morning that you would help us to understand what you have to say, God. Would you touch us, change us, transform us, Lord, and let your spirit move in our midst. Speak to our hearts, God, and help us to follow you and to do what's pleasing to you, God. I pray that a miracle would happen in this service this morning for the glory of the Lord, that your name would be exalted, your kingdom would be exalted. You would be lifted up, Father, in the name of Jesus. We speak faith and the working of miracles and healing and the ministering of your spirit today in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Thank you for standing. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. When I look at the passage of scripture we just read and and, uh, just by reflection, last week we talked about having an encounter with God. The word encounter, often I've, I've seen this phrase used in, uh, um, you know, trying to promote a, an event or something, and they'll, they'll put it in fancy text, and they'll say, encounter. Like, it's, it's a big deal, and it's exciting, and it, 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 it does what it's meant to do. It, it you know, makes it uh, appealing and exciting. But when we look at the word encounter, uh, the word encounter has a different tone to it than, than perhaps it's made to seem. Encounter, literally, when you look at it in the, in the English dictionary and the etymology of the word, it, it means an adversarial meeting. You, you meet someone and typically when you have an encounter, it's by, by the strict definition of the word, it's not a positive experience. It's you're meeting an enemy. You're meeting someone who's an adversary. They're, you're encountering them. It was kind of a surprise. It was a, uh, maybe a mistake. You didn't mean to run into them, but you did. And now there's this encounter. You've had an, uh, an encounter with somebody. Uh, and you might use it that way. You might say, well, I had, a, I had an encounter with someone today, right? You can have it like, say it like that. Hey, I encountered this, this new product, you know, and it, it's depending on the inflection of your voice, kind of determines what you mean by it. But when we look at encountering someone or something, typically it, 
by a definition means that you're, you're meeting them in, a, in an adversarial way. You're not on the same page. You're having an encounter. When we talk about it, when we, we speak about it in, 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 in light of the presence of God, we often mean something positive. I encountered the Spirit of the Lord, or I, I encountered God, or God wants to encounter you this morning. And, and oftentimes, we aren't looking for God to encounter us. We aren't, we aren't expecting Him to show up in our day, or show up on our job, or show up in our life. And maybe you are this morning, maybe you are hungry, and you are looking for that move of God in your life, and that's awesome. But most of the time, I would say nine times out of ten, when God touches our life, it's usually in a moment we were not expecting it. Jacob encounters God when he's running from his problems. We spoke about this last week. He left his father's house. He had just deceived his brother, and he encounters God in a dream. Angels ascending and descending on stairs. And, but Jacob leaves that encounter rather unchanged and untransformed. Later, we see Jacob encounter God again, again when Jacob is running from his problems. This time, not his father's house or his brother, but his uncle Laban, whom he is running away from. He doesn't want to be, he doesn't want to have that conflict of we're going to move to a different location. Later, Jacob then encounters God when God meets Jacob and says, I want you to go back to Bethel. Bethel was the place he had this first encounter with God. Go back to Bethel. This time, Jacob, I want you to build an altar. We talked about the importance when you encounter God to build an altar. Perhaps the reason why Jacob left relatively unchanged from his other meetings with God was because he never stopped to build an altar. The first time he encounters God, he doesn't leave that place changed. He leaves that place a little bit different, but mostly the same. The second encounter, when he wrestled with the angel, he left a little bit different. His hip was out of joint. He had the promise of a name change. But Jacob acted somewhat similar to how he had always acted and lived. But when he built an altar at Bethel, he renamed the place El Bethel, which means the God of the house of God. See, when you build an altar to the Lord, when you build a place of dedication or consecration or surrender to God, to Him, you don't leave that place the same way that you arrived. You leave differently. Now, in those days, an altar was a physical location. It was a, a collection of stones that was built up, and they would lay an animal, a dead animal, that they would, they would sacrifice right then and there and, and offer that up as a burnt offering unto the Lord. And today, we no longer have to do that. Hebrews tells us that because of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, his sacrifice is sufficient. It covers the, 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 the need for blood. It covers the need for a price to be paid for us to access the presence of God. Jesus is now the door into the presence of God. Jesus said, I am the door. If you're going to come to the Father, you've got to come through me. I'm the access point. It's through my blood. It's through my name. It's through my words that you enter into God's presence. And when Jesus was crucified on the cross, the Bible says that the veil in the temple rent from top to bottom. It, it split down the middle to give access to God's presence. So no longer do we build an altar, a physical altar, 
But now our altar is a spiritual one. The writer of Hebrews tells us that, that we have a different altar than the one they use in the temple. We have a better altar. In fact, everything in Hebrews is about better. Uh, the, the grace and truth are better than, than the law. Jesus is better than Moses. The uh, grace and truth comes by Jesus Christ. And, and, and now the spiritual sacrifices we offer on an altar of prayer are the fruit of our lips, the Bible says. What we say out of our mouth to God when we're in prayer, that's our new sacrifice. How we live, how we act, the choices we make after we get up from that place of prayer continue to offer to God a spiritual sacrifice. God met a man by the name of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. An angel visits him and says, Your prayers and your good deeds have come up before God as a memorial, a sacrifice. Cornelius wasn't, wasn't a Jew. He didn't really have access to God. He didn't have the the Jewish right to go to the temple and offer a sacrifice to the Lord, but because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, all of a sudden, Cornelius' prayers that he probably offered before Jesus died and was resurrected, but now because Jesus has opened the door for whosoever will, the sacrifice was made, and so Cornelius' prayers took on a new tone and a new level. Nothing changed for Cornelius. He continued to be generous. He continued to do good things and do good service and do good acts, but all of a sudden, because of the, the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, now... Excuse me, now Cornelius' sacrifices were valid to God. Cornelius' good deeds were valid to God. But I love how God didn't just leave Cornelius to do his good deeds. His deeds were good. His prayers were good. They were a memorial before God. But God sent an angel to Cornelius, and God spoke to Peter and said, The two of you need to meet, and Peter needs to show you the way of salvation. An angel met Cornelius and says, go find Peter. He's staying at Simon the Tanner's house. God spoke to Peter and said, Peter, two guys are going to come to your place. I want you to go with them and talk to them because the angel has spoken to them, telling them that they are coming to you to show you the way of salvation. So Peter arrives at Cornelius' house and preaches to them. They receive the Holy Ghost. They're all baptized in Jesus' name. And they begin their walk with God in a new way than they never had before. They built an altar. If you're going to encounter God, if you're going to respond to when God steps into your day, steps into your life, taps you on the shoulder and tries to get your attention, the best way that you can respond to him is to build that altar. But it's not enough. You can't just stop there. Because as we read this morning, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you are going to have a successful encounter with God, where God's presence touches your life and a miracle happens for you, then faith is the essential ingredient it's the prerequisite to everything you have in God. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. 
See, faith is something you must have when coming to God. Hebrews 11 verse 1 defines what faith is for us. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. In other words, faith is confidence in who and what you have trusted in. I'm sure that all of you, unless you have a lemon, you drive a lemon, you had faith that when you put the key in your vehicle and turned it away from you, it would start. All had faith in that. Now, if you have reason to doubt because of experience, you might have been a little bit more nervous. But most of us this morning didn't think about it. It wasn't, it was maybe a split second thought. And we just put the key in and turned because we had faith. The gas that we put into our vehicle the night before was still there. And the, the spark plug was going to initiate. And all of the things were going to start clicking and ticking and running and whirling and, and twirling and going on about their, their, their regular thing. We didn't think about it too, uh, too much. None of us, I don't know, unless you're a super planner, didn't have a backup plan if your car didn't start this morning. Because you had faith in your car. And so faith said, I'm going to get ready and I'm going to leave at the regular time. And I'm not, I'm not going to build in an extra 45 minutes into my leave time because I'm worried my car won't start. No, you had faith in your car. You had faith in your van, your vehicle, whatever you drove today, your Hummer, your tank, whatever you parked out front there this morning. <laughs> Hopefully you didn't drive a tank. That's, that's excessive. But you had faith in it. It was the confidence in something you put your trust in. Now, faith is also the proof or the evidence of what is not seen. Faith is the proof and the evidence of things not seen. If someone comes up to you and tells you a story about your friend, like they murdered somebody or they did this heinous crime, you would be like, no way. There's no way this happened. Why? Because you have faith in that person. You don't know that for certain. You have no evidence to prove one way or the other. But something in you says, there must be a mistake. This cannot be right because I know in what I've put my faith in. I've put my trust in this thing, this person. But bringing faith into our walk with God is, is crucial. It's essential. In fact, everything you do in your walk with God is done by faith. It's a walk that is walked by faith. Faith requires that what you are seeking for cannot be visible to you. If it's visible, you don't need faith for it. If you can see it, you don't need faith to believe it or to have it or to obtain it. But faith is the substance of things hoped for. You don't have it yet. It's not in your hand. But you walk towards it by faith. It's the evidence of things not seen. It's the proof. It's the evidence of something that is not yet in your hand, yet faith causes you to act and behave as though it was already in your possession. Either way, you are going to have faith in something or somebody today. Now you can choose in what you put your faith. Now, I, I know there's lots of people in the world that, that claim that faith is not something they have. They don't have a lot of faith. 
But that's not true. You cannot exist without faith. Faith is a core element of the human existence. Because on some level, you're going to say, you're going to believe in something. You're going to believe in something. And to believe in nothing is actually still to believe in something. You, you, you've got to have faith to believe something. You might say, but I don't believe God created the world. I believe that it was a process of science, evolution, and, and uh, there's all kinds of rabbit trails off that discussion. But at the end of the day, you've got to put your faith in that because you weren't there to see it happen. Now, you can say, yes, but all these scientists, again... You have faith that the scientists are telling you the absolute truth. Now, I'm not here to, to, to create conspiracy theories on any of that stuff. That's, that's not at all what I'm trying to get. I'm just saying, at some level, you've got to say, well, I have faith that the scientists are telling me the truth. That, that their conclusions are actually true. That requires faith. Because you don't have evidence of it. You don't have proof of it. And even if you had proof that, you know, the certain claims that they've made, you still weren't there when it was all created or when it was all evolved or when the, when the fish climbed out of the pond and grew legs and, and threw his gills away. You weren't there when all of that took place. So at some level, you are going to have to choose where you put your faith. And I choose to put my faith in God. And that's what the writer of Hebrews says. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. What that means, how God actually framed the world is left up to debate. That, that's probably discussable. How did God frame the world? I don't know. I don't know how he did it. Uh, did he do it in, in seven 24-hour periods? Or was it 7,000-year periods? Or was it 7-million-year periods? I don't know. I, don't, I wasn't there. But whatever the outcome of that discussion is, I know that it was God who framed it. It was done and spoken by the Word of God. And, 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 and I'm just saying, whether it's the seven literal days of creation or other theories that, that, that encapsulate that, that's a discussion. We could have that discussion. We can look into the Scripture and, and, and find out. You know the Bible is not a science textbook. Do you ever, you ever wonder why the Scripture puts emphasis on creation? And how many chapters does it spend on creation? Two? Two chapters, maybe three, maybe four if you count other books of the Bible, maybe five. Okay, let's round it up to a nice even ten. Ten chapters in the Bible that deal with creation if you combine all the verses together. And yet there's so many other chapters, so many other books, because so, the emphasis is not science. The emphasis is just putting you in the, in, the, in the spot that says God is the one who created it. God is the one who ordered it. God is the one who fashioned every molecule. He spoke it all into existence. It's by him that all things were created. And without him was not anything made that was made. That's the emphasis. The emphasis is not how he did it, but at the fact that he was the author and the finisher. And he's the author and the finisher of your faith. And by the way, he is the one who authors our salvation. And he gives us access into his presence. That's the most important part. You will either choose faith in God as your creator or you will choose faith in someone or something else. Now, what do I do with my questions, my doubts? I bring them back to the Word of God. I'm always open for a discussion on the Word of God. If it's in the Scripture, I'm, I'm willing to put my, my dollars on those verses because I've 
tried the Bible and found it to be true. I've brought my doubts back to the Word. i brought my doubts back to Jesus. And it's okay to bring your doubts and your questions to Him. It's okay to bring Him the things you don't understand or the things that you question or the things that you're looking for. Bring it back to Jesus. When there was a man who had a child who was possessed with the devil, he brought them to the disciples. The disciples prayed over him, and the Bible says that they could not cast out that spirit. So Jesus comes on the scene, and, and, and Jesus says, if you believe, all things will be possible. The Father responded to Jesus in the best possible way that he or anybody else could respond in Mark 9, 24. Straightway, the father of the child cried out and said with tears. Sometimes you've got to pray through your tears. You've got to talk to God through your tears. You've got to talk to him through the confusion, through the doubt, through the trouble, through the trial. And you've got to talk to him through your tears. And he said, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. He brought his tears to Jesus. He brought his doubts to Jesus. He brought his fears to Jesus. Uh, that's called bringing your sacrifice to an altar. It's a sacrifice to open up your heart and bring God your doubts. Many of us might be afraid to tell God that we're doubting something or afraid of something. Uh, can I just let you in on a little secret? He already knows. He already knows, but he's waiting for you to offer the sacrifice. Why is it a sacrifice? Because it's hard to admit you don't know. It's hard to admit there's a question that you don't have the answer for. It's hard to come to someone and say, I need help. That's difficult. That's sacrificial. It sacrifices our pride. It sacrifices our, 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 our innate... Un desire to be in charge and in control and when we come to the realization that we aren't in charge and we aren't in control and we don't have it all together and we can't put it all together like our parents put it together we can't do it like they did it and whatever the case is whatever the the backlog is on your on your your family history or your life and you say I can't do it I've got to have help it's a sacrifice to bring that to God in prayer and it requires faith. Jesus said to ask and it shall be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Sometimes all you have to do is ask and the prayer is answered. Other times you need to ask and seek. You need to take your asking up a notch. Sometimes you come to God and you ask and the prayer is answered. You get the thing you need from God. You get the miracle you need. You get the healing you need. You receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, which, by the way, I believe that all you need to do to receive those things is to ask. So many times we stop at asking. We don't ask because we're afraid of maybe claiming something or admitting something or calling something out that's wrong in our life. That's not faith. Ignoring a problem is not faith in God. But specifically asking God about what it is that you need, that requires faith. But sometimes you need to go a little further than asking. You need to seek. Jesus said, if you ask, you shall receive. If you seek, you will find. Means you had to go looking for it. It wasn't an easy ask. You had to go digging around. You had to dive into the Word and find out what does the Bible say about this particular issue. What does this Bible say about my finances? I've got to go back to the Word. I've got to seek out. I'm in financial trouble, and I prayed, and God didn't deliver me. What do I do? I've got to seek some help because I don't know it all. 
I got to call up a financial advisor. I got to dig into the Bible and find out what are what are the financial principles laid out in God's word. How does God want me to manage the money that I've been given? I got to seek. But sometimes seeking is not enough. You got to step it up even a notch from that. You got to go and knock. You got to take action on what you find in the word. You might ask and the prayer might be answered. You might have to go seeking and you find an answer in the word of God. Then you've got to apply that answer to your life and that's like knocking. And Jesus said, when you knock, the door will be opened unto you. For everyone who asketh receiveth and to him that seeketh findeth and to him that knocketh the door will be opened. There are levels of desire that take you to levels of faith. Now, we started off this whole message this morning in Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes from the Word of God. Faith comes from hearing God's Word. So what are some things we need to hear? What are some things we need faith for? Probably the biggest thing that we need faith for is our sin. By the way, sin is just missing the mark. You aim. The word sin in both the Hebrew and Greek means you were aiming for the target. You launched your arrow and you missed the target. Right? You were aiming for something, but you missed it. You were aiming for something, but you, you didn't quite get it. That's a sin. And, and, and when it comes to God's kingdom, you, you're aiming for walking uprightly and you're aiming for doing the right thing, but you make a mistake, you miss the target, that's a sin. And sin comes with a lot of baggage. We, we kind of feel the, the weight of condemnation or shame sitting on our shoulder when the word sin is mentioned. But, but that's not the intention of Scripture. The intention of Scripture is just to say, well, it's, you just made a wrong turn. Let's repent. And by the way, repent comes with its own baggage. But, but in the Word of God, repent just means turn around. Turn around and go the other way. So you missed the mark. That's okay. Take another arrow out of your sheath. Learn how to shoot it better and shoot it the right. Maybe you'll hit the mark this time. Maybe you'll hit the target. You, you've made a mistake. That's okay. Turn around. Recognize it. Admit you've made a mistake. Turn around and go towards what God is saying is right. But oftentimes we allow the devil, we allow shame and guilt to condemn us saying, well, you'll never be forgiven for that sin. You, you, you've messed it up so bad. You made such bad choices. Look at the destruction in your life. Look at the, 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 the turmoil that's been caused by this. There's no way God can forgive. He can forgive a lot of things, but I don't think he can forgive you for that. Psalm 103, let, let's let faith do some work here this morning. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. You ever heard someone say, well, they got what they deserved. That is such an unbiblical lie from the pit of hell. Nobody gets what they deserve. I don't get, I have not gotten what I deserve. You don't get what you deserve. The Bible says God does not deal with you according to your sin. He does not reward you according to your iniquities. Every morning when you wake up, if you are breathing, you should open up your eyes and open up your mouth and say, thank you, God, because I'm alive today. 
You did not deal with me in the night according to the mistakes I made yesterday. You did not punish me according to my sins. Someone says, well, I'm, I, I'm going through this hard thing. God must be really punishing me for the bad that I've done in my life. Let me tell you, if God wanted to punish you for one sin that you have committed, you would be dead in your grave and, and spending the rest of eternity separated from God in a devil's hell. He has not, if you are still breathing this morning, God has not pronounced judgment on you. God has not raised his hand against you to crush you. His mercy is everlasting. And by the way, the Bible says God makes a brand new batch of mercy every single morning. At 12 a.m. midnight, God's oven dings. Uh, he opens it up and there's a new fresh loaf of mercy there for each and every one of you. Every single morning, his mercies are new. Great is his faithfulness. Verse 11 says, as high as the heaven is above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. Everybody, anybody ever been to Calgary, to Banff, or seen a mountain? Have you ever stood at the base of a mountain and wondered at how something could be so enormous and huge, yet that mountain, as high as it is, does not even touch the tip of the atmosphere of our world. And the Bible says, as high as the heaven is from the earth, so is great his mercy for them that fear him. If you have fear of God in your heart, uh, if you love the Lord, if you want to serve him, there is so much mercy available for you every single day. That's why you can make a mistake and God doesn't condemn you. He doesn't throw you out with the bathwater. He keeps you and he keeps pursuing you and working on you. And when you repent, verse 12 tells you, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You've never traveled so far east that you started going west. You've never traveled so far west that you started going east. Because as far, if you could possibly break that connection and spread it out, the Bible says as far as the east is from the west, you, God has removed, when you repent, he removes your transgression from you. Like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Verse 14, he knows our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. He remembers how he created us. He remembers that we're imperfect. He remembers that we are not flawless. He remembers that we have it all together. And he doesn't hate us for it. Just like when a child is learning to walk, uh, no good father will condemn or beat or berate that child for falling while they're learning to walk. In, in essence, what ends up happening is a baby who's learning to walk, they take two steps and they fall, and everybody cheers. Yeah! What are we so, what, what, what are you clapping for? They just took a couple steps. What's so exciting? But it's inexplicable. You can't put, a, you can't put a, a finger on what that is. But something rises up in the heart of a mother and a father that celebrates the two little steps of a baby. So it is when you make a mistake but you repent. The Bible says heaven throws a party. The angels in heaven rejoice over the, 
the repented sins of one sinner. I'm trying to instill faith in somebody this morning that when you woke up this morning, God had you on his mind. God loves you. God's pursuing you. And you haven't done something so terrible that he won't receive you. He won't accept you. He won't embrace you. He won't cover you. No, my friend, he's there to receive and to welcome you into his arms. Can we just thank him for that this morning? Thank you, Jesus. We receive this by faith today, God. We receive it by faith. How do I know this? Because the Bible tells me so. So how do I approach God? Timidly? How, how does faith enter the picture here? It's all in how you approach God. You approach God with your head low and cowering. Oh, God, you don't know what I did. Yes, I do. Oh, there's no way you could forgive this. Yes, there is. No, no, God. I, I, look, I'm, I'm really, really sorry. Really, really sorry. Sorry, God. That's not how you approach God. If you have faith that he's willing to forgive your sin, Hebrews 4.16 tells you how to come before the Lord. Come, therefore, boldly unto the throne of grace. Square your shoulders. Lift your head. And say, God, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I messed up again. I know we've been talking about I know it's in your word. I know I knew what was right and I chose what was wrong. But I repent and I turn back to you. And God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you. And just begin to worship him. Faith exalts God's goodness and lifts God up and worships him for who he is. Faith enters the room with head held high and shoulders back and arms raised and says, God, you are merciful. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. When it comes to receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, the prerequisite to receiving the Holy Ghost is faith. Faith in what? Faith that this gift is for you. Acts chapter 2 verse 38 says, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive, shall, shall is an affirmative, declarative, affirmative statement, shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Gift indicates to you that it was already paid for, it was wrapped, a bow was put on it, and a little tag that has your name. That is the Holy Ghost. It is a gift. It's for everybody. In verse 39, he says, it's also a promise. It's not just a gift, but it's a promised gift. You know, there's a difference between a surprise gift and a promised gift. Well, the Holy Ghost is not a surprise gift. The Holy Ghost was such an assured thing that God says, I'm promising it to you, and by the way, it's for your children. So it's not just for adults, it's for kids too. And all that are afar off, no matter how far away somebody is from God, the promise of God reaches them. They could be strung out on drugs this morning, waking up not even knowing what their first name is. They could be waking up in a pool of their own excrement and vomit, and the Bible says the promise of God reaches them wherever they are. They can be in the worst financial state this morning, facing bankruptcy and all kinds of trouble, and the Bible says the promise of God reaches them. They could be in another country, 
country, not even know how to speak English, don't have access to a Bible, don't know the name of Jesus. And the Bible says the promise of the Holy Spirit has their name on it because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, the gift of God reaches, the promise of God reaches. I'm here to let you know, friend, there is nothing you've done or could do or have ever done that would separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. The Holy Ghost is for you. So when you're seeking for the Holy Ghost, you all, all you have to do is to turn to God in repentance and ask and by faith claim the Holy Ghost as your gift because God wants you to have it. Luke 11, Jesus said, If a son asks bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? That's a rhetorical question. The answer to that is no, of course not. And if you being evil, knowing how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? If you ask God to fill you with his Spirit, he will fill you with the Spirit and you will speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives you the utterance because God has a gift and it has your name on it. These are things that we can be assured of. Repentance, receiving the Holy Ghost. You can come boldly into the throne room of God and ask for these things and He will give them to you. Another thing you can be assured of is that God hears every single prayer you pray. Every prayer. Every prayer. But Pastor, every prayer. What about the every prayer you pray? Genesis 21, 16. Hagar, running from Abraham's tent with her son Ishmael, kicked out of their home because of a family affair gone wrong. Hagar and Ishmael are running through the desert trying to find a place to live. Ishmael is overcome with dehydration and thirst and collapses on the ground. Hagar went and sat down by herself a hundred yards away because she says, I don't want to watch my boy die. Verse 17, but God heard the boy crying. Ishmael wasn't praying a loud, boisterous prayer, no even evidence that he ever uttered the name of God in his prayer. But God heard his cries. God heard the sighs of Ishmael. Psalm 79, the Bible says, let the sighing of the prisoner come before thee. God hears the sighs of those who are held captive and those who are in prison. He hears the praises from a prison cell of two men in the New Testament named Paul and Silas. They're praying in, the Bible says, the inner prison, the most exclusive and secluded cells, put in stocks and irons, whipped and bruised and bloody and beaten, yet these two began to sing praises to God in the middle of the night at, to the point where the prisoners heard him, but not just the prisoners, but God heard their prayers. 
He heard the prayers of a church when Peter was in prison and sent an angel to open the doors. He heard the cries of the Israelites when they were in captivity to Egypt. He hears your prayers today. He hears every single one of your prayers. God hears your prayers. James 5.16 says that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. God hears Every single prayer you pray, you can trust and have faith. When doubts flood your mind and say, my prayers are hitting the roof, they're not even touching me. I, I can't even feel like I'm touching God. Faith reaches past your feelings and says, I don't feel God, but I have faith. He hears me. How do I have faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Bible says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So I can pray and I know that God will hear my prayers. I know that God is present in my trouble. Psalm 46 says that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, we can trust that God hears our prayers. Even though we are promised trouble in this life, we are also promised peace. Just because you serve God doesn't mean you will be free of trouble. Just because you serve and live for God doesn't mean you'll be free of sickness and you'll be free of, of issues and problems in your life. But your faith can rest in a God who has all things under control. Jesus said, in this life you shall have trouble. You shall have tribulation. But you might have peace in me. John 16 verse 33. In this life you shall have trouble. But I've told you those, these things so you might have peace. You will have trouble, but it's your choice whether you're going to have peace or not. What about healing, Pastor? This is how we should approach healing. The Bible declares that with the stripes Jesus took on his back, we are, present tense, healed. Not we shall be healed, we are healed. Healing is a promise. Mark 16, Jesus said, believers shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. James 5.15 tells us that elders lay hands on, anoint, and pray the prayer of faith and the Lord will save the sick and raise them up. But eventually... One out of one people die. It's a statistical fact. Eventually we die of something. Eventually. So how do we reconcile healing and the natural process of human life and death? You come before the throne of God boldly. You claim healing. You pray for healing. You anoint with oil. Jesus said, do you ever watch how Jesus prayed for people who were sick? Jesus didn't lay hands on them and go, God, please heal them. Jesus would often, if ever, he did any kind of speaking, he would always speak to the problem and command it to leave. 
He would speak to the demonic spirit and it would leave. He would speak to the illness. He would speak to the person and tell them to rise up. Peter and John, when they met the guy, the lame guy at the gate beautiful in Acts chapter 3, Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He didn't say, oh God, please heal his legs and help him to get up. No, Peter just said, rise up and walk. Faith speaks to the illness, the problem, and the mountain. Jesus said in Matthew 21, and I think it was in Luke 11, Jesus said that you got to speak to the mountain and it will be moved. And the amount of faith you need is not mountain-sized faith, it's mustard seed faith. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say unto this mountain, be removed and be planted in the sea. But what happens, pastor, if I speak to the mountain and the sickness does not go away? Then you follow the pattern that Paul laid out for us in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. I sought the Lord three times to remove the thorn. And God answered me and said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. How do I approach healing and sickness and problems in my life that I don't I have a guarantee of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is a gift. It's a promise. It's assured. There's no what ifs when it comes to receiving the Holy Ghost. The Bible declares it as so. It's a a sealed fact for every believer who wants to be closer to God and who wants to have a relationship with God. The gift of the Holy Ghost is a sealed fact. Forgiveness of sins is for every single person. There are no caveats or explanations that can disqualify you from forgiveness. Healing how do I approach it? You, you bring your problem to Jesus. You claim healing because with his stripes you're healed. And you, you seek the, the laying on of the elders of the, the church to lay hands on you, anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. You speak to the problem. You command it to leave. You have faith. You rejoice. You believe in God. And by the way, going to the doctor to confirm your sickness or to take medication isn't a lack of faith. That's just continuing to do what you know to do to be healthy. But eventually, if God speaks to you and gives the the sickness does not go away, the problem does not remove, then you eventually come to God and you say, Lord, I trust you that your grace is sufficient for me. I'll continue to ask, seek, and knock until God tells me to stop. I keep asking, seeking, and knocking until God says no more. My grace is sufficient for you. Until God speaks to you and tells you to stop praying for healing, you keep claiming healing, you keep praying for healing. That doesn't mean you don't acknowledge the sickness you have. Don't, don't, don't shy away from calling it by name, but call it by name and lay it before the throne of God at an altar in faith and in confidence and trust. That's how we deal that's how we have faith. Let's stand this morning. I don't know what you're coming to church here today with. I don't know what situation you're faced with. If you're needing forgiveness of sins, if you're needing the gift of the Holy Ghost, if you're needing a healing in your body, I'm here to let you know that God has what you need in his presence. If it's just peace for the trouble that you're facing or, or grace to find help in the time of need, you can find it. In the presence of Jesus, you can find it at the altar. You can find whatever you need in the presence of the Lord. Can we just pray? Would you lift your hands and talk to the Lord for a few moments here?
Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we, we have our issues, our situations, but we need you today. Everything that we have need of is right here in your presence, Jesus. this morning either at this front altar here today pray with somebody find someone to minister to and pray with but can we take a few moments and bring our needs to Jesus bring our problems to the Lord bring our circumstances to him he's here to answer your prayer he's here to heal you he's here to fill you
surrender to you, God, and we confess our faith in you, Lord. Help us to believe, help us to trust, to ask, to seek, and to knock. In Jesus' name, Lord, when we're needing the filling of your Spirit, we come before you boldly when we need forgiveness. We know that you'll forgive our sin, Lord. When we need a healing in our body, we come boldly before your throne because you purchased our healing, you purchased our deliverance, Lord, and your grace is sufficient for us. Your grace is sufficient. Whatever we have need of, Lord, we know that we can have peace answer our prayer. You will answer our prayer. Lord, I pray for confidence again in our prayers. Jesus, to face the what-ifs, to face the questions and the doubts that come and bring them to you, Lord, to surrender them into your hands. It's okay to question. It's okay to have fears and worries and doubts, but we bring them to you, Lord, in faith that you're going to give us peace. You're going to give us hope. You're going to give us life. You're going to give us an answer, Jesus. You're the way when there is no way. You're the doorway to our relationship, Lord Jesus, with God. We thank you so much today for what you've done in this service. Help us, Father, to trust in you every single day. In Jesus' name. Before you dismiss, I just want to take a moment to make a, a couple announcements. We have cleaning day coming up this Saturday here at the church from 9 a.m. till 2.